It's Tuned to Yesterday with programs from Radio's Past, broadcasting your theater of the mind. I'm your host and producer, Mark Levanier, for this hour of Radio Mystery. Later on, you'll hear the lineup, but right now, a radio institution. It's The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes with Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, the same popular stars of the film series of the late 1930s to mid-1940s. We hear them team up in The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, cases penned by the writing team of Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher, based on the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This mutual broadcasting system episode from May 21st, 1945, called The Paradol Chamber. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathman and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine. Invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell about another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. Of course, I can't be as entertaining as Dr. Watson, but I can tell you something that's really worth knowing. Simply this. The best beginning a good meal ever had is a glass of Petri California Sherry. Petri Sherry is the perfect before-dinner wine. While you're waiting for dinner to be put on the table, pour yourself a glass of that clear, amber-colored Petri Sherry. Now just sit back and sip it slowly. Take your time so you can thoroughly enjoy every single drop of that wonderful Petri flavor. And what a flavor that Sherry has. Comes right from the sun-ripened heart of wonderful California grapes. Now, you may be a real wine expert and know all about sherry wine, but believe me, until you've tried a Petri sherry, you're really missing something, and no kidding. Serve Petri sherry alone, or serve it with canopies or appetizers. And by all means, serve it proudly. You can, because the letters P-E-T-R-I spell the proudest name in the history of American wines. Petri. <laughs> And now for our weekly visit with the good Dr. Watson. Let's see if he's expecting us. Come in, come in, come in. Ah, good evening, Doctor. Uh, good evening, Mr. Campbell. It's about time you got here. Draw up a chair and make yourself comfortable. Oh, thanks. Well, you have the old black dispatch box out again, I see. I suppose you've been going over your notes on tonight's adventure. <laughs> That's right, my boy. And this may interest you. Mrs. Watson figured prominently in the story. She did? Yes, in fact, if it hadn't been for some remarkably quick thinking on her part, Holmes and I might have... Uh, well, there I go again, telling you the end of the story before I forget it. Well, uh, how did it begin, Doctor? On a winter evening in 1887. I'd been married some months, and in consequence, I hadn't seen much of my old friend Sherlock Holmes. Oh, you're still living at Baker Street, I suppose. Yes, my boy, but we couldn't persuade him to come around and see us. From time to time, I'd heard some vague accounts of his doings, of his summons to Odessa in the case of the Trepoff murder and of his clearing up the singular tragedy of the Atkinson brothers. But to, uh, to get back to tonight's story, my wife and I had just finished an excellent dinner. I remember had set ourselves down for an evening of pleasant domesticity. She was stitching away on a piece of extra petit pois, and I was at my desk balancing figures in the family account book. After a few moments, my wife looked up to me and said, John, dear, don't look so troubled. Oh, was I looking troubled? Well, you've been scowling at that account book for ten minutes now. What's the matter, dear? Don't the figures add up correctly? Oh, yes, yes, they add up correctly. In fact, they tell a very pretty story. After buying my practice and setting up all my outstanding accounts, I find that we have nearly a hundred and fifty pounds left of the diary that Mr. Schulter settled upon you. A hundred and sixty, isn't it, dear? I was doing the same sum this morning. Oh, well, 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 but that is a hundred and sixty. In any case, Mary dear, the point I was going to make is that we, we don't need the money just now. My practice is picking up splendidly, and I was thinking that we might, uh, might invest it in something really sound, of course. Who's been talking to you, John? Dr. Wilson again. Well, uh, as it happens, I did bump into him at the hospital today. He can put us onto something very good in Peruvian silver. Uh, what do you think of the idea? Well, John, the, the fact is... I'd almost decided to make a business investment with it myself. I thought I'd surprise you. Well, uh, now, now let me tell uh, you about good. it, John. Oh. Yesterday, when you were out on your rounds, yes. a most charming man called here. Oh, I mean, to Ted Barber. He introduced himself as a friend of Mrs. Cecil Forrester's. Oh, really? He said he was certain we'd be interested in his new company. And he talked so convincingly that, well, I'm afraid I almost promised him I'd buy some stock in the company. Oh, you really? What, uh, what sort of company is it? 
Well, I didn't quite understand that part of it. But it sounded wonderful. He left a prospectus. It's in the right-hand drawer of the desk. It's uh, something to do with a wonderful new metal that's been discovered by an American chemist called Paradel or Paradis or something. Oh, let's have a look through the turf. The company formed to exploit the amazing new metal discovered by Dr. Paradis. Paradol preferred stock. The potentialities of this new alloy are measurable. The fourth dimension has been conquered. What? Titial dislocation is an accomplished fact. <laughs> Gracious me, my dear child. This prospectus is absolute poppycock. Now, John, you mustn't be stubborn. Mm -hmm. I think at least we should investigate. Mm -hmm. The man said that if we went to the laboratories, Dr. Paradis would give us a demonstration himself. But, but Mary, dear, Mary, dear, the fourth dimension, I mean to say, obviously fraud. That's what everyone says when a new invention comes out. But this might be an opportunity for us to make a lot of money, John. Mary, I do wish you... To that... please me, dear? Well, <laughs> I can't argue with you for very long, Mary. All right, all right, I'll take you to the laboratory in the morning, but I warn you, I'll show this Dr. Paradis up for the charlatan that he is. Uh, Dr. Paradis will be with you both in a moment. Well, thank you, my man. She's just concluding an experiment. She? Dr. Paradis is a woman, then? Oh, yes, madam, and a very brilliant one, too. Excuse me. Oh, it's the last straw. The whole thing sounded like an obvious fraud, and now we get here and find that a woman doctor's at the back of it all. Just because she's a woman, it doesn't mean to say that... Uh... How do you do? I'm Dr. Paradis. Oh, how do you do, madam? I'm Dr. Watson, and this is my wife, Mrs. Watson. Oh, yes. Come into the laboratory, won't you? Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Paradis. Well, I'm we're just wasting your time. We're not really interested in this at all, you know. John, feel... don't mutter. Well, Mr. Barber told me that he had called on you, Mrs. Watson, and that you were very interested in my invention. Oh, yes, I am. That's why I persuaded my husband to come down with me and see a demonstration. I'll be most happy to show you everything I can. Here's a practical example of the application of my work. This chamber you see in front of you is made completely of my new alloy. Well, what's the thing do? Just a great metal box with a lot of dials and switches and things. Why is it so big? Do, <laughs> do people get inside it? They can. What? Though if they do, they're liable to find themselves transported many miles from here. Yes, Come yes. inside, won't you? Oh, what a lot of nonsense. Now, John. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I, give you a I want you both to see that there is no exit from inside this chamber. No trapdoors or anything. The only exit is the door we just came through. Yes, it's just like an airtight metal room. Stuck in here, isn't it? Now let's go outside again. I'll show you how the machine operates. Albert. Uh, yes, Dr. Paradis. I'm going to demonstrate the Paradol chamber to Dr. and Mrs. Watson. Oh, very well. Uh, the usual time? Yes, please, Albert. Now, my assistant goes inside the chamber. I close this metal door on him, so... What are you going to do with him? Within a matter of seconds, he will be seven miles from here. Oh, gracious me, really, madam, you Please, can't Dr. expect Watson, us to believe you're a scientific man. <laughs> At least give me the opportunity of demonstrating my work. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, I adjust these dials, turn on the electrical generator, and... Good Lord, what an amazing business. Now open the door, Dr. Watson, and look inside, please. Great Scott, he's gone. I don't believe it. Dr. Paradis, will you explain this to me? Gladly. My metal paradol is an unnatural alloy. What? It causes a dislocation in the warp of space and enables us to enter the fourth dimension. <laughs> you see, time is a dimension. Any object in the past, present, or future can be described precisely in three dimensions of space and one of time. Yes, but this machine of yours... The alloy of paradol, combined with the great forces of electricity, has created a new force. This element is controlled by these dials, and it is possible to move in four dimensions at once. Thus, bodies or other objects can be transported great distances away, all in the twinkling of an eye. I coined a word to describe the process. Teleportation, I call it. Teleportation? Well, I'm completely confused. All my scientific training tells me this is impossible, and yet, uh, uh, I wonder if you'd give us another demonstration. Certainly. Perhaps you yourself would like to be teleported somewhere. Certainly not. Good gracious, we uh, know. No, no, I, I think anyway. John would be very unhappy in the fourth dimension. He wouldn't belong. Yes, you, you said that any objects could be moved. How about that brown paper parcel on the table over there? Certainly. It only contains some company circulars. 
I suggest you write your initials on it so that you can identify it later. Oh, very well. J-H-W. There you are. Where do you want it dispatched to? Send it to my house. I'll give you the address. That won't be necessary. Mary, this is, this is an amazing business. Isn't it, John? Exciting, too. There we are. Now I adjust the dials once more and... Parcel is already at your house. Oh, Doctor. it's impossible. Come along, Mary. Let's get a cab and race back there as fast as we can. Well, yes, goodbye, yes. Doctor. Good, goodbye, Doctor. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now, dear. John, you must admit you're just as excited as I am. Well, I confess that I'm enormously intrigued. Let me just get my, my latch front door gear. Here we are. Miss Dr. Paradis is a devilishly clever woman. Even so, my intelligence tells me... It's impossible for the package to reach here before us. Ah, here we are. Ah, there you are, Master. Mum, just in time for lunch. Tell me, Annie, did a package arrive for us? Oh, yes, it did, Mum. I put it on the old table. Great Daddy. Scott. Uh, how was it delivered, Annie? Well, now, that's the funny thing about it, sir. I don't know. I went out to polish the brass on the door knocker a few minutes ago, and there was the parson lying on the doorstep. No one had rung the bell or anything. I didn't know how it got there. Thank you, Annie. You, you can go now. Yes, Mum. Well, John, what do you say now? There's a miracle's been performed. I don't believe my eyes. Look, there are my initials on the package. Mary, I think that if you don't mind, after lunch, I'll... You'll go around to Baker Street and tell Sherlock Holmes about this. Oh, do you mind, dear? Of course not, dear. Good. It'll be nice to see Holmes again anyway. <laughs> Dr. Watson, how nice to see you again. Hello, Mrs. Hudson. How are you, my dear? Oh, I'm just fine. Oh, you're looking grand, sir. Marriage agrees with you, oh, if you don't mind my saying so. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Is, uh, is Mr. Holmes in? Aye, sir. And I'm very glad you're seeing him. He's no been acting like himself lately. Oh, really? Locking his door. And only unlocking it for me when I give him a, a, a password. And he's hardly touched his food for the last three days. To tell you the truth, Dr. Watson, I'm awful worried about him. Well, well, I'll go up to him. You'll be glad to see you, I'm sure. Yes? Who is it? It's me, Watson. Watson? Oh, possibly. I'm not taking any chances. Holmes, this is ridiculous. Surely you know my voice after all these years? John H. Watson. Tell me what your middle initial stands for, and I'll let you in. It stands for Hamish. Watson, my dear fellow. How are you? I'm fine and delighted to see you again, Holmes. Uh, incidentally, why all this rigmarole about locked doors and, and passwords? Well, uh, Professor Mariotti has decided that it's high time to settle his score with me. There have been several attempts on my life lately. Twice I've been attacked in the streets, and only yesterday a shot was fired at me. Through the uh, window you see broken there. Lord Holmes, you must be careful. I am being very careful. That's why I indulged in what you refer to as all this rigmarole. But, uh, well, enough of my problems. What's on your mind? There's a sparkle in your eye and an air of excitement that tells me that you've uh, some news to impart. Well, I, I must say there is something. Of course there is, my dear fellow. Come on, tell me about it. You ever hear of a new metal called Paradol and its inventor, Dr. Paradis? Oh, yes, yes, indeed I have. I received a prospectus concerning it the other day. Well, uh, what, uh, what do you think of the idea? Oh, obviously it's rubbish designed to fool a gullible public into buying shares. Don't tell me that uh, you were taking it. Oh, advice. no, 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 of course not, Holmes. Naturally, as a scientific man, I knew it was rubbish. My, uh, my wife, however, had become a little involved in the concern. And so today, to prove to her that the whole thing was a, was a fraud, we went down to the laboratory and met this Dr. Paradis. Oh, did you indeed? In the first place, let me tell you, this Dr. Paradis... <laughs> is a woman. Oh, a woman? As you can imagine, I didn't have any difficulty in discrediting her theories. In fact, I'm afraid I, I made her seem rather stupid. <laughs> However, we did stay there long enough for her to, to give us a demonstration. And that's the way that it was, Holmes. When we got back to our house, the initial package was there, waiting for us. Oh, childish trick. Obviously, the Paradol Chamber contains... An ingeniously hidden trap door. 
through which the assistant disappeared and later the package. A fast cab then took it to your home before you could get there. Oh, yes, oh, really? Well, uh, yes, yes, of course, that's exactly how I explained the thing to Mary. Was she impressed with the feet? Yes, she was. Uh, but you know how women are. I tried to tell her the whole thing was a fraud. She's uh, very obstinate. I was hoping perhaps that you will help me expose the concern. Oh, hardly seem necessary, old fellow. Such an obvious fraud. However, for your sake, I'll be glad to do anything I can. Well, I thought we might go down to the laboratory late tonight when nobody's there. And take a look at that paradox chamber a little more closely. Yes, a rather good idea. After being cooped up here for three days, it'll be a pleasure to get some night air and indulge in a little simple burglarizing. Well, shall I call for you here? No, no, wait a minute, dear fellow. It's much too dangerous. Uh, I'll, um, I'll be in a handsome cab outside your house about 11.30 tonight. How's that? Splendid. Quite like old times, isn't it, Holmes? Yes, it is, old chap, though I think that uh, this time, for Mrs. Watson's sake, I must try and keep you out of trouble. that only concerned old bachelors like myself should be wandering the streets of London. Oh, rubbish, Holmes. You talk as if Mary was a tyrant. Now, don't get angry with oh, me, old chap. I was only being facetious. Is this um, hmm? Dr. Parody's laboratory? Yes. I'd like to be seen. I don't imagine it would be very hard to break in, though. Strike a match, will you? I took the precaution of bringing this lantern. There you are. Thanks, old fellow. Is the, is the door locked? Yes, but I think the skeleton key will do the trick. Hold this lantern for a second, will you? Yeah. Oh, oh, this is a child's play so far. Come on. Yeah. There's the, the paradox chamber over there. Uh-huh. Give me the lantern again, old chap, will you? Thanks. Mm-hmm. Quite an elaborate contraption. The door's been left open. Let's go in and take a look at the inside of it. Ah, not so, Mr. Watson. If this is the only entrance and... Uh, the two of us walked in. It'd be too easy to slam the door shut on us. Yeah, I suppose so. You go in and I'll keep watch out here. All right. Oh, why, uh, trust that in a few minutes I won't find myself lying on your doorstep. Holmes, there are times when your sense of humor is a little strained. Holmes! Holmes, you all right? Watson! What is it, Holmes? The body of a dead woman. She's been shot. Let me come and look. A thousand to one is Dr. Paradis. Yes, yes, it is. Watson, get out of here. Don't you see the... Good Lord, someone has slammed the door, the door shut on us. Yes, my dear fellow. We walked into a trap very neatly. I'm afraid that we're imprisoned in what appears to be an airtight metal chamber and the only person who can help us to get out of it again is a corpse. Dr. Watson's story will continue in just a few seconds. Time for me to remind you that good food always tastes better when served together with good wine. Did you know that Petri makes two wonderful mealtime wines? Wines especially made to go with food? Well, they do. Petri California Burgundy and Petri California Sauternes. You want a rich, hearty red wine, a wine that's great with any meat or meat dish, you just try a Petri Burgundy. And if you want a wine that's perfect with chicken or fish, Try a delicate golden-colored Petri Sauterne. Petri Burgundy if you want a red wine. Petri Sauterne if you want white. But always a Petri wine if you want a good wine. Now back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. It is in the early hours of a winter's morning in 1887. The famous pair, while investigating the mysteries of a scientific laboratory in the east end of London, have been trapped in an airtight metal cabinet, their only companion being the dead body of a woman scientist. As we rejoin our story, Sherlock Holmes and his old friend Dr. Watson are listening intently as footsteps approach what appears to be their metal coffin. There's someone outside. They're sliding back to the mental panel. Good evening, gentlemen. That voice, it's Dr. Paddy's assistant. Let us out of here. Or should I be more precise, Mr. Holmes, and say good morning? <laughs> Hello, Moriarty. Moriarty, you scoundrel. I can just get my hands on him. Dr. Watson, 
wish you could get over your dislike for me. For my own part, I'm genuinely sorry that my trap had to catch you, too. I've often felt unhappy that you're not on my side. Such slavish admiration of you, given your friend Sherlock Holmes, must be highly gratifying. There's never mind about all that. What do you think you're up to? It's obvious, my dear Watson. The whole scheme was a plan to lure me out of my safe hiding by presenting an intriguing problem, and one that victimized the wife of my old friend. You knew it would get back to my ears, didn't you, Moriarty? <laughs> yes, exactly. But why did you murder this Paradise woman? That's uh, equally obvious, my dear Watson. It served her purpose in presenting a most convincing scientific front. As soon as the trap was baited, she was a liability. She might tell tales until she was killed. Like so many other of your accomplices, my dear Professor. Ah, uh, precisely. Now, my dear fellows, I'm afraid that I must close this panel and say goodbye. Quite solid, I have to kill you, but you're becoming dreadfully in my way. And how do you plan to kill us, my artist? By doing nothing more than closing this panel. Or I could be frightfully dramatic and release deadly gases into the chamber, or poisonous snakes, or something equally colorful. But quite frankly, it seems so much simpler just to shut you in. Your oxygen supply won't last very long, you know. And for your benefit, Dr. Watson, I may tell you that Paradol, whatever its other shortcomings as a metal, is bulletproof. Goodbye, you meddling fool! Well, there seems nothing for us to do but look around and ascertain our chances of escape. Holmes, I don't like this. We're in a very nasty situation. My dear Watson, sometimes you're a master of understatement. Uh-huh, just as I thought. What have you found, Holmes? Sliding panel, just behind the dead woman. Uh, it leads us to a passageway. Passageway that has been bricked up only within the last few hours, but long enough, I'm afraid, to make it impossible. No, there's no escape here. Hold the lantern a little higher, will you, Jack? Yeah. That's it. Well, what are we going to do now? I was just estimating the cubic capacity of this chamber. The air supply should last comfortably for at least another eight hours. I recommend a, a brief sleep to refresh us and also to conserve our oxygen supply. Sleep? Who could sleep at a time like this? I can and you can, old chap, if you discipline yourself. Mm, well, I'll try, Holmes, but I know perfectly well I shan't close my eyes. Wake up, Watson, wake up. Uh, yes, Mary dear. Uh, oh, oh. Oh, is it you? Oh, we're still in this infernal trap. I'm afraid so, old chap. Uh, what time is it? Just after seven in the morning. Uh, how long did you estimate our oxygen supply would last? Probably about another hour. Well, it's just possible some worker will come to the laboratory early and let us out. I shouldn't count too much on that if I were you. No, I suppose not. I say, Holmes, I'm, I'm famished. Yes, I thought you would be, my dear chap, so I saved you a, this half of a bar of chocolate. I had my own share just before you awakened. Oh, thanks, my dear fellow. Uh, did, did you sleep too, oh, Holmes? No, I didn't, Watson. I employed my time in conducting a minute examination of this chamber. I was trying to find some possible way of getting out. And you failed, eh? I'm afraid so. Holmes, this looks like the end, doesn't it? Well, if it is my time to die, I'm glad that we're together again. Although I blame myself entirely for, for letting you into oh, the trap. come now, my dear fellow. Don't take it as badly as that. But you admitted you're defeated and that there's no possible way out of this distance. I meant that there's no way out from the inside. So my time worked. Good gracious me. What on earth? The star. The star. There you are. Mary. Mary, you dear little thing. You, you must have been frightened to death. Hello, John. Oh, dear, you must have spent a miserable night. Well, 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 well. Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson have been getting themselves in trouble again, eh? Sir, this is no time for your heavy-handed badinage. There's the body of a murdered woman inside that chamber. She was killed by Professor Moriarty. Professor Moriarty? Too bad you didn't get my message sooner. Your message? Oh, bless my soul, Holmes. I wish you'd tell me how you got your message to the Scotland Yard. Well, ever since these recent attacks on my life, I've had uh, my delightful band of ragamuffins, the Baker Street Irregulars, watching my house in fixed watches, two at a time. I gave the boys instructions to follow me whenever I went out. And if ever I did not reappear within three hours, they were to report to our friend Lestrade at Scotland Yard. Holmes, you're amazing. You, you, you think of everything. Just a minute, gentlemen. Just a minute. I didn't get no message from any of your Baker Street Irregulars. Oh, you didn't? No, sir. Though I did find a couple of the boys tied up when we came in here just but now. if you didn't get a message from them, how did you come here so opportunely? <laughs> That's an easy one. 
because Mrs. Watson here came and fetched me. You did, Mary, but how on earth? <laughs> Go on, Mom. Well, tell him. Well, it's really very simple. When John came back from seeing you yesterday, Mr. Holmes, he was over elaborately casual in his references to the Peridor chamber. So, of course, I knew at once the two of you were going to investigate the matter. I also caught him oiling his revolver after dinner. I didn't know that you slipped out last night, John. But as soon as I woke up this morning, I realized what had happened. So I went straight to Scotland Yard for Inspector Lestrade and brought him here with me. Why, Mary, you clever little thing. Isn't she a clever darling, Holmes? <laughs> Mrs. Watson, this has been a salutary experience. Uh, will you allow me to congratulate you on your deductive ability? Well, that's very nice of you, Mr. Holmes, but I really don't deserve any compliments, if you don't mind my saying so. It was elementary, my dear Mr. Holmes. Elementary. This is Bob Campbell saying good night for the Petrie family. This program comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Broadcast live on Mutual Radio on May 21st, 1945, that was The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, obviously performed in front of a live studio audience. I'm Mark Levonier, your host for Tune 2 Yesterday, in the middle of an hour of classic radio mystery. And now a mix of mystery, crime, and detective drama coming from the lineup. From June 10, 1952, a broadcast featuring luminaries from CBS's Radio Row, including Jeanette Nolan, Virginia Gregg, Raymond Burr, Ted Bliss, Wally Mayer, William Johnstone, and Herb Butterfield. Ladies and gentlemen, we take you now behind the scenes of a police headquarters in a great American city where under the cold, glaring lights will pass before us the innocent, the vagrant, the thief, the murderer. This is the lineup. against the wall with Asher. Well, when he comes in, I'll send him over. Yeah. See you later, Ben. All right. What do you say, Ben? Uh, not much tonight. How's the cold? Oh, it's the same. Just trying to keep my head clear. This thing does pretty well. May I have your attention, please? You people out there on the other side of the wire in the audience room, may I have your attention, please? Thank you. My name is Carter, Sergeant Pete Carter. I'll explain the lineup to you. Each of the suspects you will see will be numbered. I'll call off a number, the name and charge. If you have any questions or identifications, please remember the number assigned to the prisoner as I call his name. If you're sure or not too sure of the suspect, have him held. The questions I ask these suspects are merely to get a natural tone of voice, so do not pay too much attention to their answers as they often lie. All right, bring on the line. All the way to the end of the stage, boys. That's it. Keep moving right across. Now turn and face the screen. Heads up, eyes straight ahead, hands out of your pockets. Step out to the circle when I call your name. Okay, number one, John Carlisle, armed robbery. Where do you live, John? 1145 Sherman Street. What is that? Hmm? Rooming house, apartment, motel, what? An apartment. Where are you from, John? Here, I lived here all my life. A little straighter, son. Keep your head up. That's right. What do you do? Electrician. I'm an electrician. Where do you work? No place right now. Anyone arrested with you? Yeah. Well, who? A couple of guys, Quinn Levin and Steele. Howard Quinn Levin and Robert Steele? Yeah. Uh, 17 and 18. They friends of yours, John? No, not particularly. They had the same address on Sherman Street as you gave. We lived in the same apartment, but we weren't very friendly. You drive a car? Yeah, 49 Merck. Sedan, coupe, what? Great sedan. Okay, step back. Number two, Claire Burness, burglary. Over to the circle, Claire. Hey, uh... Uh, oh, Step over to the circle, Claire. You've done this before. Come on, come on. <laughs> yes, Where do you I live? Sure, yeah. 
Talk right out. Big room. Everybody wants to hear you. Oh. You live someplace, don't you? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. I'm no vagrant. I, I live at the Seacoast Hotel. Well, oh, got me a nice 75-cent room there. It's over on Arapahoe on 27th. But, of course, the plumbing. How long you live there, Claire? Uh, oh, three. Oh, it's nice. Where'd you live before that? Well, across the street. Well, what address? Uh, 2214 North, 27. My wife still lives there. <laughs> We're breaking up. Sorry to hear that. What's your business, Claire? What do you do for a living? Oh, nothing. Stand up there. You own a car? Oh, me? oh no, 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 no. I don't own a car. I, I don't know how to drive. <laughs> Any weapons when you're arrested? No, 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 nothing like that. What about the 22 automatic? That's a weapon, Claire. No, no, no. They, they, they got it all. I just found that thing. That 22 is no weapon. Since when? Well, I found it in the garbage can when I was out walking. I was going to make a cigarette lighter out of it. It was such a little gun. <laughs> it looked nice on my coffee table. It was fully loaded when the officers took it from you. Was that gun loaded? Honest. That's what the officer's report says right here. Well, are you sure about that? Yeah. I wonder if I could just see that thing with just a second. Stay minute. there. Oh. Well, I just wanted to see it, that's all. The man has Get back there. Now, go on. Number Leaving. three, I Gave him a working over. Yeah. Hasn't been dead more than a half hour, Ben. Nothing more I can do until we get him downtown. Okay, wrap it up. Right, Ben. Okay, boys, take him away. No okay. weapon around? Nothing. Who identified him? No one, yes. Found this empty billfold in the alley. Had his name and driver's license. No money. Oh, let me see that. Hmm. Ripped part way open. Yeah. Watch and ring missing, too. Henry Leonard, huh? 22161 Cherry Hills Drive. It's about six blocks away. Anybody talk to Mrs. Leonard yet? Uh, yeah, Asher went over and got her. She's over there in the car. Okay. Ever hear Beth Leonard sing? No. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have it then. She sure won't have anything to sing about tonight. No, not much. Hello, Ben. Hi. Mrs. Leonard. Yes? This is Lieutenant Guthrie. How do you do? Hello. Uh, did you see... Yes, I saw him. That's Hank, all right. Or what's left of him. I don't think I'm going to be able to... Oh, sure. I got it. Yeah, Ben. Uh, see if Dr. Gerson's still here. All right. I'm singing at the Deauville now, and Hank came by tonight for the last show. We closed about two, and then we had something to eat. Then we went out to the house. Mm -hmm. And what time was that? Oh, about 3.30, I guess. Four o'clock. Go on. Well, that's all. Hank left about four. We talked a while at the house, and then he left. Hank didn't live here. He's been in Florida the last two years. He just came in town Sunday night. We're separated. Mm, I see. Uh, when he left you at the house this morning, where was he going? Back to his hotel, the Delvey. Uh, was he driving? No. I offered him the car, but he said he'd rather walk. Why would anybody kill Hank? We're pretty sure the motive was robbery, Mrs. Lyon. Robbery? Yes, there was no watch or ring on the body, and his wallet had been emptied. 
Oh, he had a beautiful watch. Just a beautiful watch that he loved very much. Can you describe it? It had Roman numerals and a white gold case. It was a Gerard. Any engraving on it? His initials, H-A-L. H-A-L. Don't happen to remember where he bought it, do you? I bought it for him on his birthday four years ago. It was the Wentz Jewelry Company. Any other valuables he might have had on him, Mrs. Lennon? Just his ring. It was a plain gold wedding band. He still wore it. Anything outstanding about the ring? Engraving? No. Okay. Anything else? No. May I have a cigarette? Oh, sure. Here. Thank you. We uh, want to cover every possibility, Mrs. Leonard. Uh, can you think of anyone who might have had reason to want to kill your husband? No. Did he have any enemies in town? No. Why? The way it looks now, somebody just waylaid him and robbed him and killed him. But it's pretty far from your house to his hotel, Mrs. Leonard. Almost 20 blocks. Well, I can explain that. Hank said he felt like walking. He was in town to talk about our divorce. I've been thinking of marrying someone else. I see. And that's why he met you at the Doleville? Yes, to straighten out some things. It was beginning to drizzle when he left. I looked out the window and watched him go down the street. He looked kind of lonely. the weapon, Doc. Oh, blunt instrument is about the best we can do for you, Ben. Any way you can narrow it down? I don't know. Maybe something to this. It just came from the crime lab. Probably a copy on your desk now. I found some flakes in the wound. A specimen I sent to the lab's been analyzed. On the spectrograph, they found out it was a substance called ANSYS, corrosive protective product made by Union Petroleum. Oh, what's it used for? Well, to spray tools and metal that might be out in the weather a lot. Like in a filling station. A lot of tools in the new cars have it. Well, that might help. You pick up anything out there? No, nothing. No tire marks, no footprints. Mm -hmm. Tough of you. Yeah, it looks like it. Well, somebody's car might have a little blood on it. Oh, excuse me. Pawn mm. shot detail has the watch and ring on the hot list. Oh. That's about all we have to work right. on now. Yeah. A feel, Ben. Oh. Thanks. You got three? Ben, I'm at 22178 Cherry Hills Place, across from Bethlehem's house, about six houses down. 22178? Yeah. What's up? Checking the story about Leonard walking home. Lady, uh, uh, Mrs. Sheridan saw somebody pick him up when he left the house. Does she know who it is? Well, she says it looked like Beth Leonard's boyfriend, James Brewer. Okay, we'll check it out. Backing up the great CBS radio news team on election night will be Univax, the electronic brain. It'll be operating for the first time to bring you faster, more accurate, more complete election night totals. On November 4th, make CBS Radio your election headquarters to hear the trends, the color, and the results. You'll hear Edward R. Murrow, Lowell Thomas, and the rest of the same great CBS Radio team that made convention reporting history earlier this year. crazy. I was right here in bed. Any way you can prove that, Mr. Brewer? Prove I was in bed? Lord, no, I was here, that's all. I was home and in bed by 11 last night. I don't quite understand why you're here. Just checking. You drive a 51 Cadillac sedan? That's right. Black? Mm-hmm. This witness said it was your car. Well, a lot of people have cars like that. It wasn't mine. Well, now, I understand we have to look into all these things. Sure, I understand. You want to come in here? Yeah. Where were you last night before you came home? Working. I own a club out on Lincoln Highway. Anybody there see you leave? Sure. Charlie Monroe, my manager. And you came right home, went to bed? Yeah. You knew Henry Leonard? Sure. I've known him 10 or 12 years. Knew him before he married Beth. Were you on good terms with him? What do you mean? I... Oh, yeah, I think so. As good terms as you can be with a husband of the woman you're going to marry. Look... Beth and Hank broke up two years ago. They never could work things out. Beth asked Hank to come back in town, talk about a divorce. That's why he was here. Beth and I wanted to get married. Yeah. Did you see him while he was in town? Yeah, Sunday night. We all had dinner here. Did you talk about the divorce? Yeah. 
Hank said it was all right with him if that's what Beth wanted. Sunday the only time you saw him? That's right. I know you have to look into all sorts of things, but I didn't kill him if that's what you're driving at. You own a raincoat, Mr. Brewer? Sure. I'd like to see it. I sent it to the cleaners a couple days ago. You remember what cleaners? Windsor. Why? Just want to look at it. Now, listen, you two. I'm no criminal. I have no record. I've never been in trouble with the law. You have no reason to inquire into my personal life and the things I do. I've been pretty nice to you up to now, but I won't stand for this. I have a lawyer who might be able to make something out of your accusations. We aren't making any accusations, Mr. Brewer. Just looking for the facts. Well, look for them someplace else. This is my home, and until you have a warrant or something, you have no right to come here. Don't ever tell a police officer working on a homicide that he has no right to make inquiries. We'll contact you later. What do you think, Ben? Pretty big guy. Yeah. Hi. His car's in the garage, Ben. You got a chance to look at it? Yeah. The jack handle's missing. Now, because you've all asked for it, here it is again, your favorite and mine. This lovely day will lengthen into evening. We'll say goodbye to all we've ever had. Walk together. I'll remember April and be glad. I'll be content. You love me once in April. Your lips were warm and love and Mr. Hanson's office. He did want to walk home. I told you that before. Well, we know. Well, was then... there any trouble about the divorce? No, no trouble at all. Hank was very sweet about it. Had he taken any legal action? He was going to see a lawyer this morning. Uh, do you know if Mr. Brewer and your husband had any words about this divorce situation? No, no. Hank and I have been separated for such a long time. No, Mr. Brewer told me not to answer any more questions. Well, I wish...
wish he hadn't told you that, Mrs. Hunt. He said you had no right to annoy me or him. I think he's right. You said you thought my husband had been robbed and killed. What are you trying to find out now? Mr. Brewer's no killer or thief. I'm certainly not. Well, we have to check out everything. We want to find out who killed your husband, that's all, Mrs. Hunter. A witness claims she saw your husband get into a car like the one Mr. Brewer drives. She says Mr. Brewer was driving it. We're here to find out if you know anything about that. I don't know anything about it, and I don't think I'll answer any more questions. Are we sure we should look at it differently, Mrs. Lennon? I told you, no more. Absolutely. Hello? Lieutenant. Thanks. Guthrie? It's me, Ben. Brewer hasn't been able to explain the jack handle missing from his car. We have him here still talking to him, but it may not be Brewer. Asher just called in. A big guy just pawned the watch that was taken from Leonard's body. Where? Bob Bomash's pawn shop, 18th and Curtis. We'll meet him there. There there's Asher. Yeah. Oh, hi, Ben. Hi. Hi. He left the shop about four minutes ago. Bomash gave me a pretty good description. 6'2", brown suit, 190, no hat. He must be around here somewhere. Yeah, what's the story? Well, the pawn shop detail was in Bomash's place this morning. It was still fresh in Bomash's mind when the suspect came in. He signed the buy book, Harry Long. Here's the watch. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Movement and case numbers check out? Yeah. Well, this puts Brewer in the clear, huh, Ben? Yeah. Now we have to get this one. How do you want to work it, Ben? We'll lay it out every intersection for six blocks, every alley. Now, let's get some more cars down here. This sounds like our boy, and I want him. Unit 33K, code one. Been an hour now, Ben. I know. He's in the area somewhere. He could be in any one of those stores. Might live around here, too. 66 at 205 at 617 Manning. See the woman? I'll check in. Yeah. 13K to unit 17K. Come in. 17K to 13K. Go ahead, Ben. You do any good yet? Nothing, Ben. I'll check it around. Ben? Hmm? Going into Market Town with the packages, huh? That's the description. Just spotted man answering description of suspect. Now entering southeast entrance of Market Town. Call it out. Cover every entrance, every street. Pete and I are going after him. Market Town. Roger. Let's go. Uh, pardon me, please. Pardon me. Sorry. Sorry. Pardon me. He's going for the parking lot. Yeah, come on. Uh, ben, that 49 caddies is. Yeah. Mr. Long? Huh? Your name Harry Long? Uh, no, you got the wrong fellow, mister. Police officers. Uh, what is this? This your car? Well, yes. Hey, listen. Uh, I... We better go where we can talk. Come on. What about it? You pawned this watch a few minutes ago, Mr. Long. We'll talk about it for a starter. No, we want you, Ben. I got him. All right. Be smart. Be smart. Easy now. Okay, okay. Yeah. a boy. Uh, okay, Ben. I'll come with you, but I ain't done nothing. Yeah, for a man who hasn't done anything, you fight pretty hard. Okay, Ben? Yeah, he's yours. All right, come on. Now, wait a minute. You've got nothing yeah, on me. Yeah, you Ben, huh? These look like bloodstains to you? Yeah. Better phone in. Tell him to let Brewer go. Bill Johnstone as Lieutenant Ben Guthrie with Jack Moyles as Sergeant Pete Carger was written by E. Jack Newman with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Martha Tilton was featured as Beth Leonard. Others in the cast were High Everback, Peter Leeds, Victor Perrin, Howard McNear, Sidney Miller, and Virginia Gregg. The lineup is produced and directed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle.
The nation's forestry service reports critical forest fire conditions in the Midwest, the Far West, New England, and the South, with many other areas showing increasing danger compounded by an unprecedented number of hunters in timber areas. To all of you in or near timberland areas, these critical weeks take every precaution to avoid setting fires. Dan Coverly speaking. And remember, you have a Thursday night date with Junior Miss on the CBS Radio Network. Lineup, a CBS broadcast from June 10th, 1952 on Tuned to Yesterday. And that's it for this hour of Radio Mystery. Be sure to be with us next time for more great programs from the Golden Age of Radio. Until our next hour together, I'm Mark Livonia. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.